All right, welcome everybody. This is going to be a little bit of a different episode. Um, hopefully, you know by now that I'm Adam Moody and you're listening to the Productivity Academy podcast. And instead of directly doing more of an interview, this time we're going to be talking about the best books and reading of 2018. But it's not just me going on and on about my favorite stuff. Uh, joining us today is previous podcast guest, Dr. Dominique Klupp. Uh, Dominique, first of all, thanks for joining us. And, um, you know, just in case somebody missed the previous episode with you, uh, can you tell us a little bit about yourself uh, before we get into the books? Sure. And thanks, Adam, so much for having me back. I have to say that podcasts are one of my favorite favorite media because there's something about the intimacy of connecting with listeners. And I know that most listeners are kind of going through their day-to-day activity. So thanks, everyone, for letting me be in your ear. And thank you, Adam, for having me back. So uh, just to give you a little brief bio and then to kind of say a little bit about what I do, I'm a certified executive life and creativity coach, and I studied at Harvard not once, but twice. So I've got both my master's and my doctorate from Harvard. And as you might expect, someone who gets that kind of level of education, I grew up to be a tenured university research (laughs) professor. And then in 2015, I bravely took a year off and I founded my own company called Inspiring the Creative Within, where I get to work with the best clients in the world. (laughs) And I work with everyone from graduate students trying to write their dissertations who are struggling with writing productivity, to faculty members on NASA grant projects, even working with entrepreneurs who are just starting out, and then all the way up the C-level suite, um, those high achievers at Fortune 100 companies like Morgan Stanley. And the main areas that I work with clients around have to do with things like productivity, creativity, writing, goal setting, life, and a lot of career reinvention these days, work-life balance, that all-important thing, and then even sort of the difficult things like recovering from stress and burnout. And I like to kind of put a positive spin on it and say that I help people to develop in every area of their lives so that way they can pursue their most expansive dreams. And the best quote I've ever seen that captures what I do with clients is the Jack Kerouac quote, the one where he says, be in love with your life every detail of it. And so with clients, I say, it doesn't matter where you're starting from, we will work together to get you to fall in love with and be excited about the life that you're waking up to every single day. Wow. Awesome. And, uh, you know, speaking of quotes, there's one that I took directly from you and I definitely try to attribute it to you whenever I can. Uh, but if anyone's listened to, uh, Dominique's first episode, take the best and leave the rest is now one of my favorite things. So just wanted to let you know, I've been using that uh, whenever possible. (laughs) Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. Doing episode 15 with you is one of the highlights of last year for me. So I'm really thrilled to be back to have this book conversation. (laughs) Outstanding. Well, yeah, then, uh, I think we should just get into it. You know, we should have done rock, paper, scissors or something before the episode, Uh, But since you're the guest, I'll uh, put it on your plate if you want to step up first and uh, lead the charge here with your first recommendation. I do want to step up first because I think my first choice is so apropos because it's a book on timing. (laughs) My my first book is When the Scientific Secrets of Perfect Timing by Daniel H. Pink. And this is a when to book as opposed to a how to book. And so here's what I mean by that. So according to Pink, most of our big decisions, such as when to change careers, deliver bad news, schedule a class, launch a product, all of that stuff comes from our following intuition or hunches sometimes, and that doesn't necessarily result in the best outcomes. 
So he believes that timing is actually a science, not an art. But most of us, like I said, we use timing as it's an art based on either guesswork or just using a hunch or intuition, which isn't always a bad thing. But according to him, it's more important to know when to do something as opposed to how to do it. That is really cool. You know, you mentioned this to me earlier, and I'm glad that's just kind of jogged my memory. Um, I'm really excited, actually, to add this one to my list uh, and, and dive into this. I, I think, is there anyone in specific you've recommended this book to, or is this just kind of a general, like, you highly recommend it? Okay, so I have really re- realized, and we were talking earlier about our book biases, <laughs> which sounds like, ooh, <laughs> but how we pick books. And I am now reading with an eye towards my clients' needs mm-hmm. and what might be a benefit for them. So in the past year, I have recommended this to more than one person. But when I think of the clients I've recommended it to the most, it's those who are looking for things like the career reinvention or life reinvention. And they're looking to make big changes because that question of they come to me feeling like, oh, let's do the how to or how to do this. But the question of when to do it, I had never thought about before. Hmm. And so it's like, oh, okay, when should you make, when should you quit a job? When should you start a new job? When should you start a marriage? When should you quit a marriage? (laughs) And he covers all of that in this book. Wow. Okay. Yeah. This one's definitely going on my list. So that's uh, two thumbs up for me just <laughs> without having read it. I mean, he, he ends each chapter with like life hacks. So okay. there are specific things. And okay. So I noticed one of the things, and I don't know if you looked at the, your books to see if you had a pattern mm. to them, but this might be the researcher in me. So I was, when you approached me about this and was I was culling together the list, I realized that the books that stayed on the list all had one thing in common and the books that went off the list all had one thing in common. So everything that stayed on all had endnotes. And so this book was based on two years of research Pink did with two additional researchers and 700 studies from economics, anesthesiology, anthropology, social psychology, chronobiology. I mean, like he looked across multiple fields. And so I recognized like, oh, the books that I am gravitating towards are these meaty books that I sit there reading and underlining the endnotes as much as I read the chapters of the book. Interesting. Books. That's, I really like that. And that's something how I've tried to arrange things because I like both. I, I enjoy a story. I enjoy the theory or the idea. But then a lot of times, if I don't have some concrete steps uh, to put into action, I find that, you know, it can be hard to translate kind of into reality uh, sometimes. Yes. And I think because my client practice is so research-based and so evidence-based, it's one thing to say to a client, you know, perhaps, and I mean, coaching isn't as much about giving advising or suggestions. It's really about what the coach or rather what the client brings to a situation. But to be able to say, well, the research indicates this might be a habit or a practice um, that you may want to pick up is to me has a power behind it. And that shows how I want to navigate the world and do my work in the world is to be able to have some evidence behind what I'm doing. And so the type of books that I find myself reading allow me to be able to procure and put forth that evidence, you know, cause like for instance, some of my favorite questions that this book grappled with, cause there are things that I think we think about, but we don't necessarily have the answers for it. And the book provides mm. the answers. So things like, why do beginnings matter so much? Like, why is getting off to a good start mm-hmm. matter? And then 
when we do stumble, because we can think about it as, you know, the fall down seven times, get up eight <laughs> times, <laughs> like, how do we make the fresh start? Like, when should that be happening? And then also like the, the midpoint slump, like, why do some of us either stall out or get fired up? And then with endings, why do some of us race toward a finish line and work harder? And then yet we also slow down as we seek meaning. And so those larger philosophical questions I love to grapple with. And they're the same sorts of things that I see that, you know, so for instance, someone who is making the shift to get into or starting a business or putting together a team, like there's the same sorts of things that when we're doing a product launch, we're thinking about, but we might not be explicitly thinking about. And this book puts that on the table for you to really grapple with it. This has been good. You know, I now have to do a little bit of on the fly readjusting because I was going to talk about a non book first, but now I'm actually switching this up because you were talking about, you know, it might be the researcher in you. So I guess my follow on to this would be my pick, which is a workbook and it's the unique ability uh, workbook. So I'm not sure. Have you ever gone through this, Dominique? I have not. Okay. So well, I'm excited to learn about it from you. I'm going to write myself a note here. We're going to send you uh, one of those. Uh, this is really neat. I really like this because the reason this made me want to switch it up was I used to think that I was very detail oriented. I and you know very process driven, and I'd worked as a process engineer, mm -hmm. uh, you know, been in the Marine Corps, this, that, the other thing. But when I sat down and really started going through what I thought my strengths were, like my truly my unique abilities, it became uh, pretty obvious. It was more of communication and more of a high level. Um, I'm able to look out to gather a lot of input and then to come into a solution that's workable um, and is a strong solution, but I'm not the the um, bulldog that's going to go all the way, you know, find the extreme details, really nuanced down at the very bottom level details. And that was kind of a, honestly a revelation for mm -hmm. me. I, I was reading through this. I said, okay, here's my personal statement. I've put a lot of, you know, put three months into this and I read it and, you know, I had 10 different things is what they have you do. And my wife kind of looked at me and she's like, are, are you sure that that one's right? <laughs> and I said, you know what? I was like, <laughs> a part of me, my ego is a little hurt, but I said, you know what? You're right. This doesn't quite fit. And so I realized that this is a little vague for anyone listening, but I want to leave it like that without going into detail because I don't want to just tell about what it's like going through a workbook. But it, it's a great way I found to really spend some time um, finding out more about yourself. I've done some of these online tests. I don't want to disparage any of them. I don't think they're bad, but there's a lot of tests where you can go online and answer like a series of um, multiple choice questions and it'll tell you, you know, where your strengths or your abilities lie. Uh, but I think that the free form part of this, uh, where you have to just write down your answers and it has to come from you, uh, is is harder, but then makes the answers that much more valuable. So, oh, wow. Yeah. So is it something like, is it, it's writing prompts? So you do this daily or you do it situationally, like when a context comes up? No, good question. You do it, it's, uh, you can do it over time. I would recommend doing it once a year, maybe every other oh, year, wow. but it's basically a workbook. You just work your way through. And okay. it's definitely meant to be done in a shorter period than my several months. <laughs> uh, but, it, you know, it, it had the same effect. And it, it's you go through and they do recommend some add on tests, uh, some of those like multiple choice tests to kind of help you uh, mm -hmm. guide yourself. Yes, but in yeah. the end, you're coming up with 10 statements about yourself. And then you're taking those 10 statements, which might be a paragraph on their own, and you're condensing them into one single statement about yourself and what your unique ability is. Oh, wow. And then do they recommend yeah. that they you go like get feedback from folks around you like you did? Definitely. To get that's part of it. Okay. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's mm. really cool. And so hearing for me, um, I had done this. Oh gosh, who was this? Um, I've got his book on my shelf, but I can't see it right now. Anyway, someone else, another book I'd read, uh, read uh, Perry Marshall. That's it. Sales and marketing uh, guy. He had recommended um, sending out an email to people and asking what they thought, you know, your strengths were. And so I'd done this years ago and then I redid it uh, to more people now that I was more confident and, you know, was realizing the power of asking other people about this. Mm-hmm. And I consistently heard one thing and it was communication. And to me, that's, you know, years ago or when I first did this, I found it interesting because I considered myself an introvert. Uh, and so that's changed slightly. I consider myself like kind of extroverted introvert. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. I enjoy talking, yes. but yeah. I need to go and be by myself. So right. yeah. yeah, yeah. I call that the non-shy introvert. I'm a non-shy <laughs> introvert. And it, once I realized that, I actually had a coach who helped me to realize that because everyone kept saying, oh, we'll have Dominique do it. She's an extrovert. And I'm like, I'm not. I'm like, what? <laughs> yeah. why is everyone coming to me? I'm like, this is not strength. <laughs> and so, but once I was able to rec- make the recognition, like, oh, it's that I'm not shy. I was when I was younger. So it's definitely something I developed to be able to kind of get up on stage or to talk. And so, yeah, it was, it was interesting. One of my, as I was preparing for the podcast, I was reminding myself, you like to talk. <laughs> like, <Yeah. laughs> this, is, this is Adam inviting you to converse while other people get to, like I said, the intimacy of connecting with connecting with an audience who I don't get to see, but I feel like that's such a huge honor, you know, that is, having that. So I can, I completely see how communication would be one of your top strengths. Oh, that's awesome. Well, thank you. And, and I recommend this to anybody who hasn't done it, uh, who wants a little bit of a, a more in-depth look at yourself and the payoff on this, you know, if you're not convinced just of, of what I've said, that it might be important is that the goal of this is so that you're focusing your time uh, again, whether it's business or personal life, um, to where you're most effective and not doing the things you're good at, um, mm-hmm. doing the things that you're exceptional at, oh. moving away from those areas. Of course, you know, everybody can say, okay, I just am bad at this task. Um, you know, maybe it's uh, graphic design. I, I, can't, I can't make my own graphics. Everything looks amateurish. That's easy mm-hmm. to identify. But I, getting yourself away from those things where you get, um, where you feel good because you're getting the job done and you're doing a good job, it's harder to get away from those and focus your time solely on your exceptional abilities. Yeah. I I mean, I love that concept of unique abilities, you know, Mm -hmm. because that really does tie into the fact that you have unique gifts and talents to share with the world. And when you're focusing on those things, then those levels of you get to have a deep appreciation of them, but others do too. And I, that's, yeah, I really like that as a concept. And one last note on this, I would say, is I ended up liking this so much, and I felt like I learned so much. Um, I've got one for uh, who my uh, project manager, and sent it down to her, and had her go through it, and it was even tougher for her. <laughs> and she stuck with it. It took her several months as well, um, and just a lot uh, came out of that. You know, this is someone I've worked with, um, invested a lot of time with over the last couple of years. So it isn't something I would just hand to like a brand new employee or um, mm-hmm. somebody like that. But if you've got someone on your team. Um, you know, that you value and you want to invest in them, this is going to help them so much. And likewise, because of that, it's going to help you. I think this has a really high payoff. So if you have someone on your team that you want to help grow and understand themselves better so that they can better perform at a higher level, I think this is a, a great way to do it. 
Yeah. And I really like how, so even when we're doing hiring processes to be able to think of, okay, so I thought that my strength was to get down into those details and to be execution, right? Mm -hmm. So like to execute things. And you're like, wait a minute, no, I'm better at being the opportunist. Like that's Steve Jobs, right? That's what he used to do. And then there's like, do I want to add someone to my team who's visionary or do I want to add someone who's a worker bee who's like executing? And then knowing individuals, unique abilities would help you to be able to figure that out. Like what does the team need? So I see how it could be great for your existing team and then the one you're looking to put together. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. So highly recommend this. Um, Worth checking out. So, well, that's that one. Uh, I guess, Dominique, what's your uh, second choice? All right. So my second choice is option B, facing Mm. adversity, building resilience and finding joy by Sheryl Sandberg and Adam Grant. And so Sheryl Sandberg is the CEO of Facebook and she wrote the book Lean In, which got a lot of press and publicity. And Adam Grant is a friend of hers who also happens to be a really well-respected psychologist and professor at Wharton. And this book was written after the sudden death of Sheryl Sandberg's husband. And so the reason this book is on my list is because, like I said earlier, one of the ways I am reading now is looking for what clients need in addition to my own need. And this book was gifted to me at just the right time. And it also was something where a lot of my clients were going through acute grieving processes. And it was something that they felt wasn't being talked about in the workplace. And I think it is something that we tend to ignore. So productivity in the hardest of times, Mm. like how do you get through the period of acute grief and how do you be able to like survive things like you know a cancer diagnosis or if a colleague gets diagnosed with an illness and so the book is about instead of asking how much resilience we have as if that's a fixed thing it's asking instead how can I become more resilient and I think once we begin to answer that we can deal with things like how can I stay productive within the workplace and how can I keep contributing without feeling like, you know, this life shattering event is it and I can't move on anymore. So wow. this one, yeah. this one really is a tale of post-traumatic growth. Hmm. Wow. Okay. So I'm curious, do, does this one as well, since you said you, it might be the researcher in you, does this book also have some sort of, you know, here's some ways you can help yourself through this or is it? Okay. Yes, it has. So some of my takeaways from this, book. well, first of all, I have a lot, but, <laughs> but, but <laughs> let's, so unpack gonna, them. Yeah. let's unpack them. So, okay, let's start first with um, Martin Seligman. So early on in the book, they talk about Martin Seligman, who's a psychologist who spent decades researching how people cope with setbacks. And he found that there were what he calls the three P's can actually stunt our recovery. So I think it's useful for folks to know what those are. So this is personalization. And this is like, I'm at fault. I'm to blame. Even if you were nowhere near or had nothing to do with it, we get into that. I'm the one this happened because of me. And the other one is pervasiveness. So feeling like the event's going to affect all areas of our lives. And then the third one is permanence. So that the aftershocks feeling like they're going to last forever So if we can recognize that negative events aren't personal, pervasive, or permanent, according to the research, we're much less likely to get depressed and be better able to cope as a result. Gotcha. Wow. This is, yeah, this is interesting and it's a a big topic. I'm I'm not at a loss for words. I'm just trying to think of how this is something that's been on my mind and I don't know, I guess it's uh, totally age related. I'm 39 this year. 
Um, as you know, my parents are getting older as I'm having, you know, my own issues. I love running, but, you know, facing some injuries, things like that, these types of thoughts definitely have come in and, you know, what am mm-hmm. I going to do, uh, when X or Y happens and, you know, not dwelling on it, but being ready to, to face that. So I guess from that yeah. point of view, I'm, I'm definitely interested in, in checking this out. <laughs> yes. And, and yeah. so I said, this book was gifted to me. And so mm-hmm. the small detail that I, <laughs> that I want to share now is, so this was gifted to me by my soulmate. And I say 2017 and 2018 were the happiest and saddest years of my life. The happiest because I met him and his mm-hmm. daughter. So now I have two soulmate loves in my life, <laughs> but the saddest because he gifted it to me right after my father passed away unexpectedly. Mm-hmm. So I'm a little further along in the age bracket than you are, Mm -hmm. but the reality of losing parents and loved one is quite real. And so within a very short period of 2017 to 2018, I lost a father, an aunt, an uncle, all four of my cats passed away. I lost my own life coach, um, a cousin, uh, a friend committed suicide. So when I say that I feel like this is something, productivity and being able to move forward and how do we become more resilient is something that needs more attention, I'm serious because it was something that very personally affected me. It sounds like it's something that you're beginning to think about as well. And Mm -hmm. I think there are lots of us who um, need the time and the space to be able to grapple with these very real issues that are a part of our work life. Oh, definitely. And just obviously your life. I mean, what you've just described, I mean, the thing that first came to mind was, you know, that I'm glad you're here today and on the show and able, you know, to, to have a conversation about this. Um, because I think about that and I was like, man, if that happened to me, would I be able to, to be here today, you, you know, or would things have kind of fallen apart? So yeah, I think that's, you know, extremely important. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, there's a lot. um, She has an entire chapter called Kicking the Elephant Out of the Room. And this is about the fact that so many of us don't talk about death Mm -hmm. or the traumas. And there's this beautiful proverb that we die twice. So there's the actual death. Mm -hmm. And then there's the last time anyone ever says your name. So you want to make those be decades and decades apart. So for me, being able to talk about my father and say his name, Harold R. Klupp, is like a privilege and an honor because that means like he isn't really dead yet. You know, he's had the first death, but he's living on. And so I do feel like it is important to keep the conversations and to show up even when it might be hard when we've gone through our toughest years to recognize like there's a side on the other side of the side. And, mm. you know, getting to that is part of what life is about. Definitely. Well, that, yeah, this is uh, timely, too. This is interesting. I'd, I'd forgotten until just a minute ago, but um, I'm traveling to see my mom and my sister uh, in a couple of weeks, and we've set aside an hour to have a talk with or my mom, set aside the hour, asked us for it, uh, to just talk about, you know, her wishes. And, you know, mm-hmm. she's got a will and all that. But just to say, you know, there's some things I like to talk with you guys so that, you know, when th- and, and the inevitable happens, you know, things are as smooth as they can be and they can be taken care of. And I'm really thankful for that because, uh, you know, hearing stories, you know, whether it's family or friends and seeing how much stress and, you know, just ill will can be created around that time when everyone's stressed out and sad right, and angry yeah. and, you know, bad things can happen when it could, you know, it's just so good to be able to talk and communicate about that stuff. Yeah. And one of the things they, uh, Cheryl and Adam share in the book is that there are two emotional responses to pain. So there's empathy, which motivates us and that helps us to help. 
And then there's distress, which motivates us to avoid. So having these conversations before those emotional responses happen, when the trauma, the life shattering event has actually taken place, I think is really important. And Cheryl says that we need to follow something. Again, this is one of the chapters of, uh, she calls it the platinum rule of friendship. And we know the golden rule, and that's to treat others the way you want to be treated. But the platinum rule is to treat others the way they want to be treated. And so you take a cue from the person in distress or the person who is, you know, planning their life ending events or any of that stuff. And you respond with understanding and being able to recognize that there's no one way to help a person through this. There's no one way to offer comfort. There's no one way to grieve. And what what helps one person one day won't necessarily help them the next. And so going into it with that framework and that mindset can be helpful in terms of coping, you coping with it and them coping with it as well. I like that. That's a really good one. Uh, Years ago, my sister was going through cancer treatment and uh, she's fine today. Uh, And that was something, you know, that's on my mind. And at the time, even, you know, I felt bad for even thinking about that. Like, is what I'm doing helping enough? And then, you know, stop it, Adam, you're being selfish. She's the one who's going through all this and, you know, getting wrapped up in those emotions is so real. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And you're going through it too, because post-traumatic secondary trauma is a very real thing. And so that's when the instances aren't going right directly flowing through you, Mm -hmm. but they are affecting you. So before my father passed away, he had gotten really sick. We got six extra years out of him. So that was wonderful, but he had actually died twice in a, in a, in like a traumatic situation. And then they brought him back and it was, you know, we got more time with him, but I can remember those, um, you know, the feelings of what I went through. And while I just kept being grateful, like that we had him and that he was on a way, he was on his way to recovery. It didn't affect me any less or it affected me. You know, it still affected me, even though I wasn't the man in the bed. Yeah, you know, but because I was his daughter. And so I think that that's really, really important. And like, there are little tiny things that we can do in the workplace that can help with this. And one of the things she said was that with people asking, like, how are you like that would trigger her in some way. And it didn't feel um, it didn't feel deep enough. But just adding one little extra word. How are you today? Ah, that's good. I just think, oh, that's so, so brilliant. And um, I think I want to share one other thing, at least one other thing that she shares, because I think this is useful. So when she was, and this might be the writer in me, (laughs) when she she was in the months after um, her husband died, she wrote over uh, 100,000 words. And so it was actually 106,338 words. And don't ask me why I remember that, but that's the kind of memory that I have. <laughs> and so, but she journaled and she wrote things like made tea, got through emails, went to work and focused for most of one meeting. And I love that because what she when she went to Adam, Adam said, here's the thing. Most people are told keep a gratitude list. Like we've heard that before. And he said, what you really need to be doing is him and his colleague, Jane Dutton found that you need to be keeping a contributions list. Mm. 
Because counting your blessings or your what you're grateful for, it doesn't boost your confidence or your productivity or your effort because gratitude is passive. It makes us thankful for what we receive, whereas contributions are active and they're going to build our confidence, remind us that we make a difference, remind us again that we can be productive. Mm-hmm. So when we're going through life's toughest moments, it's a useful activity to write down what you've done well. So would that, and just as an example, would that be like uh, Cheryl keeping the the notebook and saying just, you know, I, yeah. I focus for most of a meeting. That would be, mm-hmm. you know, okay. Gotcha. That's, that's it. And so, I mean, I, as a coach would say, absolutely keep both do a, do a gratitude mm-hmm. list. But if in the moment, like when we're often going through something that we have these default settings that we return to when we're experiencing adversity in our lives. And sometimes that isn't being our highest, super most productive self, right? Cause that wouldn't make sense. <laughs> so yeah. the basis default setting. And so if that is to be able to say today, I made a phone call. Like that's good enough. That's more than good enough because you showed up that day. And, and you know, if it's like, you know what? I opened my eyes. Yeah. Like you're still here. You're still, mm-hmm. yeah, that's good. I opened my eyes. Yep. Mm-hmm. Wow. And I'm, I'm thinking about what's not what I've lost, but what's remaining. Hmm. Man. Okay. Well, this as episode is good and giving me a lot of food for thought. So um, besides adding to my book list to read. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And can I, I want to tell you that one of my favorite lines from this book and then we can move on. So no, it's, that's fine. Yeah. it's tragedy does not. So remember we talked about personal pervasive or permanent, the three P's mm-hmm. earlier, the Martin Seligman. So Cheryl writes, tragedy does not have to be personal, pervasive or permanent, but resilience can be. So keep that in mind. You can keep resilience, personal, pervasive, and permanent. That's good. I like that. Uh, for me, it feels like it ties into consistency. I, and I mm-hmm. think that for me, that's, you know, kind of maybe two sides of the same coin there, being resilient and being able to do the same thing day in, day out. The little things do matter. Um, right. You know, getting up and taking a shower or going for a walk. You know, if you can keep those things together in your life, you know, that over time, the dividends are huge. Yeah. Yeah. And the days that you can't still deeply love and accept yourself. You're right where you need to be. Yep. Yep. As a runner, like that's something I've had to, this is obviously going what I feel is more shallow, but you know, just uh, (laughs) there's days where I just don't feel it. And you know, a lot of times if you're training, whatever you need to get out, you need to do it, but sometimes it's okay to walk. And you Mm -hmm. know, if you can't walk four miles, sometimes you just walk around the block, you know, it's getting out and doing something and, and, you know, being okay with it. Yeah. And it's so funny to go back to Daniel Pink's book. He has a whole section on when to exercise Hmm. and it's based on your goals. So for instance, if one of your goals is to avoid injury, he says exercise in the afternoon as opposed to the morning. What's the, I'm curious. Do you remember the reasoning behind it? Uh, let me actually open the book. See, you're good, Dominique. You actually have the books in front of you. I had two of them, but one of them was way out of reach. So. Oh my gosh, no. And I know it's on page 45. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so, okay. So, uh, oh, it's because our muscles are warm. So they're more elastic, elastic and less prone to injury because you've been warming up all day. And uh-huh. then also your body temperature rises steadily throughout the day. And it's going to peak late afternoon, early evening. And so that means later in the day workouts, our muscles are warmer and injuries are less common. And then, of course, he has the end note that tells you what research that's from, which I, of course, love. Cool. Very cool. 
I will have to take that into consideration. I was definitely a, a midday and have kind of moved into the morning, although I generally start with a walk. And anyways, that's for another day. We've yeah. talked about walking before. So, <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's, uh, anything else on that book though, before we move on, I guess? No, I'm great to move on to your next book. Alrighty. So the next one is not a book, but uh, went off the uh, record here a little bit. I really enjoyed this and I'd uh, had this on my list to do literally for years. It had been highly recommended. Uh, so I don't recall sadly what it was that finally motivated me to do it, but I went to Coursera.org uh, and went through the learning how to learn course. Uh, if you haven't heard of this, just uh, if you Google learning how to learn, you will find it. It is a top result. I believe they've had yeah, 1.7 million uh, students go through it. It's a free course. And oh God, yeah, wow. it's done by uh, through McMaster University and the uh, UCSD, so University of California, San Diego. And it is great. It only takes about 10, 12 hours to complete. And you can take the quizzes and do the feedback, or you can just kind of go through it. And I won't spend a lot of time on this. I just found it uh, very helpful in the sense that it solidified a lot of ideas for me that I had thought, mm -hmm. oh, I need to learn or I need to set aside time to learn or um, even better than that was realizing how I need to learn. Uh, mm -hmm. And one of the big takeaways for me was realizing that I need diffuse time. And that's something they go through and say, you have focused and you have diffuse mode. And focus is what we generally think of. I'm learning. I'm, man, I'm really studying. I'm really taking notes. I'm really focused on reading this book. But saying you need those times where you sit back and just think about what you've learned or just do something else. Again, going for a walk, this comes up again and again. You'll hear this all over the place from me, from Dominique, from other people, um, that walking can be a great way to do this, where your mind is free to wander, to connect all these ideas uh, in ways that you cannot do uh, when you're really focused on solving a problem. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. I love that. It's being a professor of adult education and my, you know, doctorate and master's were in learning and teaching. Yes to this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And there's a lot more to it. I won't go into it. It's, it's good. I love that it's um, the professors who are going through it. They've done it kind of um, not like clip art. That's the wrong word, but I'll just roll with it. Um, you know, some kind of corny visuals, but they've put it together in a good way so that you can learn. And, you know, they encourage you to use the different modes. It's about more than just what I talked about. But again, mm -hmm. without doing a full-on review, I just encourage anyone to go through there. If you're interested in getting the most out of your learning, which I think anybody who's listening to this podcast at one point or another, either you're you're listening to a podcast to learn, you're reading a book to learn, um, you're going after a specific subject in school or on an online course. And so having these tools um, that ensure that you really retain and get the most out of it and you're able to do it um, sometimes more quickly, uh, I think is really powerful. Wow, that sounds wonderful. Yeah, it definitely yeah. sounds like a good use of time. And I yeah. like that they have put it into 12 hours, you know, because yes. sometimes things take 50 hours and you don't need that much time to learn how to learn. So. Exactly. <laughs> I was like, if it would have been 100 hours, I would have run away screaming. So, yeah. And now you know that about yourself because you need more diffuse time, not focused time. <laughs> there we go. Yeah. So I do a lot of walking and I'm actually taking that up. I found that to be um, really, really good. And Dominique, I think you'll like this. Um, I recently had someone on the podcast and I will pull up and put this in the show notes, but, uh, they were saying that they have a, their booking form to talk to them, but instead of being, Hey, you know, talk to me on zoom or talk to me on hangouts, it's a, a schedule 
to meet them in person and go for a walk. Oh, oh, I love that. I love that. I do have clients and I tell them we can use um, our time together on the phone. You can be walking, you can be on the treadmill. And I do have some clients that take me up on it. Yeah, that was- So they are actually in movement because embodied somatic learning is a real thing. Some of us learn best through motion. Yeah, it was a a great idea. Obviously they need to be located near you. you. Uh, Yes. Yeah, but other than that- not, <laughs> I do not currently actually, I used to have a lot of face-to-face clients. And then I think when I, you know, moved my business more online, I actually don't have a single client right now that it, I have a client that's in a couple hours away. Um, so we could meet midpoint, but most of my clients are all virtual at this point, but I do allow them to walk and do whatever they want. So that's a good idea. I like it. Yeah, yeah, just tell them to, you know, make sure you're on yeah. a sidewalk or uh, somewhere safe. So <laughs> Right, somewhere safe. Yeah. Yes, no distracted <laughs> distracted walking. So but yes. Cool. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, let's see. What is your third pick? That's actually a really nice segue because we've been talking about the importance of walking. And so my third pick, and this is actually my last pick because I only came up with three. Well, I had more, but I called it down to three. All right. I really, I like, I like these three and they all have the end notes, (laughs) but it's wired to create unraveling the mysteries of the creative mind by Scott Barry Kaufman and Carolyn Gregoire. I hope I've said that correctly. And this is a book that actually came out of Carolyn's uh, Huffington Post article, which was titled 18 Things Highly Creative People Do Differently. And it amassed over 5 million Facebook views and more than half a million Facebook likes in just a matter of days. And she had quoted Scott's research on creativity in it. And so they got together and it became the basis for this book. And so it is just a really... because I am so interested in creativity and I know, I just read the other day that um, IBM did a survey of their chief executives and they they all said that the number one thing that they want today's leaders to have is creativity. Hmm. And so I was like, oh yeah, this is, you know, this is definitely a worthwhile read for me. And again, as a creativity coach, how do I not read this book, right? <laughs> 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 so it um, one of the things that I love that it starts with is it starts with a me and poetry. So it starts with Walt Whitman. Uh, can you tell I was an English yeah. major? I was English and history. Well, this is good. I'm curious what your Walt Whitman. Uh... So it's so it's the quote. Do I contradict myself? Very well. Then I contradict myself. I am large. I contain multitudes. And so it's this whole notion that very creative, highly creative personalities tend to be, uh, they're segregated. They contain extremes and they contain multitudes. And a lot of that thinking is coming from the work of Mihai Csikszentmihalyi, so who's a creativity psychologist. And I like to say that we're all highly nuanced. And so thinking about creativity as a habit and as a way of life and as a style of engaging with the world is what this book is doing so well. And so they have 10 hallmark features. And the 10 features, I'm just going to go through them quickly, are imaginative play, passion, daydreaming, solitude, intuition, openness to experience, mindfulness, sensitivity, turning adversity into advantage, which is what option B is all about, and then thinking differently. And so when when you think, look, as you read through that list or hear it in your head, you can tell that it's a bunch of different paradoxes. So mindfulness, and then there's the kind of mind-wandering piece of it. Then there's openness, but yet sensitivity, 
solitude and collaboration, play and seriousness, intuition and reason. And so all of those paradoxes become how you can know that um, your distinct personality as a creative type, or if you want to be more of a creative type, is keeping these hallmark features that in mind. That is really good. I, I, while you're talking, this is really funny. Sorry to back up a minute. I think that uh, I'm really looking forward to hearing the results of you going through the unique ability because I'm realizing the way we're presenting the information Mm -hmm. from our books is totally different. And I was like, man, I should have had like a bullet list of these things that I wanted to talk about. And I realized, no, that's not the way I organize my information. That makes no sense. Right. (laughs) (laughs) And then it would have been work for you. So that's not, that would have sparked no joy in your day. I'm like, gosh, this is really good. I'm really digging this. I like hearing it like this. And then I was, yeah, anyway, sorry. It's kind of an aside. And it's one of those, well, it's, it, it actually relates to what you were saying about how people learn, right? So as a learner, that's probably one of the ways you like to learn. But as a teacher, you probably Definitely. will teach differently. And they don't have to be yeah, mutually, I'm just curious if anyone uh, listening to this, if you feel like leaving a comment uh, wherever you're listening to it at, I'm just curious, what, what do you like? Do you like hearing on a podcast? Would you? I mean, I assume both. Most people enjoy, you like to hear an overview, you like then drilling down into things. But is there, you know, what do you get from both of those? I'd be really interested in hearing what people have to say. I am too. Yeah, put, definitely put that in the comments. I want to hear that. Very good. All right. Um, so let's see. On Wired, was there anything else you want to go through? Okay, so let me, okay, so I want to share definitely the whole notion of going for a walk to get your creative ideas. But the best ideas come from the shower. So the research indicates that 72% of people around the globe, Kaufman actually did some research with a showerhead company. So there might be a little bit of bias there, but, but with the showerhead like <laughs> And so people said that they're more likely to have fresh insights in the shower than at work. So this gives everyone permission to take a day off. But it, I mean, more importantly, like how you can make this practical is something that I always recommend to clients is keep dry erase boards in your bathroom. Mine are in a beautiful leather box, right on your mirror, snapshot with your iPhone. Also take those, um, they make those Crayola like markers for kids that you can use in the bathtub, having those in your actual shower stall or bathtub to capture ideas. Because we only hold on to thoughts for three minutes if we don't write them down. So that's why we have that moment of like, oh my gosh, I had that great thought and I can't remember it. I thought I would never forget it. Well, research indicates you need to write it down within three minutes. So set yourself up to be able to do that. Same thing on your walks. That's why you and I have talked about Otter AI before. Yeah, which uh, we'll be coming back to. I will add this on um, after we're done recording, but I got a fantastic recommendation from Simon Lau at otter.ai uh, and Dominique, I'll send that to you um, as an aside. He turned me on to uh, Tiago Forte uh, ah. and the idea of progressive summarization. So shout out, Simon. Thank you for sending that in. And I'll mention that at the end of the show. So everyone listening, just stay tuned. And I've got a few mail-in recommendations from uh, previous podcast guests. Oh, wonderful. Awesome. And yes, and if people have not listened to your interview with Simon, they should go do that. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And go check out Otter AI. It is yes. fantastic. Yes, Absolutely. Cool. Well, um, let's see. I've got several, but I am going to narrow it down to uh, one more. So I will do this on the fly. I think I'm going to go with Traction. Um, So this is a book by Gino Wickman. um, And this is really, I call it, uh, you know, or I call it, they call it a operating system for a business. 
And I think this was 2017 I started, but definitely bled into 2018. And I haven't implemented all of it, but with another business I'm a partner in uh, by the name of Semantic Mastery, uh, we got started on this and the results were, were really good. Uh, and just some tactical, like, here's what happened. Um, it helped us clear up and outline our, our like business, our mission, not just like a mission statement, but getting that down, getting it very clear. And I have, including myself, five partners. So this was very important mm-hmm. for us in a partnership to be on the same page. And it was really fun and at the same time scary going through that process and realizing, oh my gosh, we're not on the same page. Luckily, we weren't all over the place, but narrowing that focus down into one. Because Mm -hmm. from that point, it was like the big idea, like, what are we doing? What are our big goals? How are we attracting people? Or what kind of people do we want to attract? And then that just makes everything so much easier. You know, where should we focus our marketing? Well, if we know our demographics and the people we want, then that kind of reveals itself. Um, Ideas like that. And then um, on a more, I guess, again, tactical side, uh, meetings now. We were meeting for 90 to 120 minutes a week. And mm-hmm. now we're getting done in sometimes 30 or 40 minutes um, oh, wow. and having time yeah, just to connect and talk a little bit more uh, and having that outline that they had uh, where we're operating on a kind of a 90 day cycle mm-hmm. and then meeting weekly was really, really nice. So I had already been working on 90 day cycles, but we hadn't really implemented it with the business. So we did this, we set what they call rocks. So basically our 90 day goals. And uh, went after that. And it's been something where each 90 days we're getting better and better and better. And it's, um, it's been very, extremely helpful for us in finding our focus and helping us to also take a step back and be like, okay, let's review our yearly goals. Let's take a deep breath and look at where we're at. And then, okay, now all these things we thought about doing in the last 90 days, which of those actually get us towards the goals that we're moving towards? And mm-hmm. having that has been invaluable. And so is that what reset? So did your agendas actually reset? So then you weren't like having very unfocused, non-directed meetings anymore. What was the specific thing that got, I want to know how you got that hour back. Yeah, it was, it was, it was just like you're saying we had, we went from having a loose agenda because I had said, Hey, Um, I'm I'm not going to be leading a meeting that has no agenda. So I'll mm -hmm. put some sort of form on it. We did that for a couple of years. And then I read the book and said, ah, okay, there's a much better way to do this. But, you know, I don't care that I didn't think of it. Let's put it into motion. <laughs> um, but I also sold it to uh, literally, you know, I had to sell the idea to my partners because I was asking them, you know, in my world, I think it's kind of a big ask to come up to people and say, hey, I want you to read this. Let's see, it's a 240 page book and then we're going to implement it. So do it. They're partners, not mm-hmm. employees. So I can't do that. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I read through it and really thought it through and said, hey, you know, here's the benefits, you guys. We're going to really streamline how we do everything. We're going to reduce the time we spend on these, you know, random tangents that don't go anywhere. Everyone had already been complaining about, you know, too many meetings, things taking too long. And I said, you know, read the first chapter and let we'll meet again about it. Came back uh, after they read it. And I said, are you guys on board? And they said, yeah, we're sold. Let's, Let's give it a shot. Oh, wow. I like that. I like the conversion story piece to it, you know, where we read something that has power and makes a difference in our life. And then we use it to make a a difference in the life of our team and thereby our business. Definitely. And sometimes you got to remember too, that what you see in it isn't what other people will see. And instead Mm -hmm. of just saying, this is, you know, the Holy Grail, let's do it. You know, remember (laughs) that other people are going to have their own uh, views on it. So make sure, you know, if you do, even with your team, present benefits first, uh, and then, you know, bring them on board, you know, don't drag right. them unless you absolutely have to. So. Yeah. And, and getting, recognizing, I like that you said that because recognizing sometimes the benefits for one person might be different, but the larger outcome 
for your business will be the same. Definitely. Definitely. And just to go through this, I opened up the book because as I we were talking about earlier, I was talking about having a little bit of a rundown here about the actual book itself. Um, mm-hmm. I think that's good here. So I talked about how, you know, helping you form your mission statement or defining yourself as a business, but also they go into surrounding yourself with the right people. And they call it, you know, putting the right people in the right seats. Um, and that's something we haven't fully implemented. And we just chose not to in the sense mm-hmm. that we basically didn't need that. But as I grow other businesses and work with other people. That's something I highly believe in. And it's it's something I like. Uh, and I think partners well with the unique ability is what is everyone's unique ability. And if you have someone maybe doing um, financial numbers just by uh, because they have to, or that's the way it's been done, but you find out that this person is more of the visionary, then maybe you need to move that person around. And it's not mm-hmm. a, a bad thing. It's this person is clearly not using their strengths. And why would they keep doing that? Right, right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because we all bring, you know, strengths and advantages and gifts and talents, and then obviously unique abilities. And so being able to assess those appropriately and put people into roles that will make them happier, healthier, and ultimately maybe wealthier. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Is is all good. Yeah. And the other things they go through real quick are pretty good. Uh, Knowing your numbers. um, They give a lot of templates about how to go through that, which is great. Um, how to go about, um, you know, everyone has ideas, we have problems, and how to uh, put those. And in the simplest form, it's just you create a document, and it's called an issues list, and you put them on there. (laughs) And Mm. that's better. It's a common area where everyone can dump those. But it's also got a secondary benefit that I saw where you don't go chasing shiny objects. Once you set your 90 day goals, you don't change them. And anything that comes up, that is a significant fraction of someone's time or the business's input or money, it goes on that issues list. And then at 90 mm-hmm. days, you go through all those things and evaluate. And if it's really that important, you'll get to it. And if it's not, then you just get rid of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that was uh, also really helpful. And then it goes into a couple other ways. Um, using processes, of course, big fan of, uh, and then putting it all together. So just found that to be highly, highly helpful. And I think that this is a good book for not only teams, uh, but anyone who's, you, you know, you can be a solopreneur or doing something on your own. And I think understanding this stuff is good because eventually you will need a team, whether it's just a part-time employee or the people you interface with regularly. Uh, but I think building these skills has been hugely important for me. Um, I know my partners appreciated it. And so just recommend it to anyone who wants to to make their life a little bit easier in that regard. Nice. I think we all can use life being a little bit easier. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Cool. Well, I think that's about it. Um, Is there anything else you wanted to touch on or any last minute recommendations, Dominique? No, I mean, those were my three, uh, I guess, favorites um, from last year. So I appreciate getting to share them with others and hopefully they will get as much out of them as I have. And I'm uh, actually looking forward, Adam shared his larger list with me. So there were a couple things on there that I definitely want to check out and that unique ability workbook. Mm -hmm. Oh yes, that sounds wonderful. Definitely, definitely. Well, I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit. So when you were on the uh, podcast last time, I asked you what your favorite book was, um, but looking forward, um, is there anything that if you came back in a year, um, you would, you know, right now you could say this book or this this thing I'm I'm learning or learning from is a front runner for being on my next year's pick. 
Okay, so I'm really glad you asked this question. <laughs> and it is, it's, it's not a book. So I, when I saw your list, I was like, oh, wow, he, yeah, book, loosely defined. I love this. So it's actually not a book. It is a compilation from the Harvard Business Review. Mm-hmm. So it's in a periodical or like magazine format. And it's their best articles on, and it's called Unleashing Your Creativity. And so I am loving reading about this because it's a really good reminder for me that we don't, and I've found in all my years of teaching and all my years of coaching, we don't need to learn anything more about creativity. Like we know what creativity is, but what we need help with is rediscovering our own creativity and regaining our creative confidence. Mm. And so uh, this is definitely a potential front runner for next year's uh best favorite, however you want to qualify it. Outstanding. All right. Yeah. Mine would definitely be Radical Candor. Um, The book has been recommended by several people. I'm halfway through it and I like have stopped reading it because I'm implementing things already. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah. It's been great. Uh, And I I really like it. Uh, My big takeaway is basically, you know, the way you can have more direct conversations that you need to have with people um, mm-hmm. It's a two-sided coin. You have to be direct and you have to work on that and ways to do that. But you do that by building the relationships and caring about people. Uh, oh, and so that wow. you know yeah. how to communicate directly with that person. It's not saying be friends so that you can be nice to them. It's saying understand them, care about them so that you can understand how they best operate. So then you can be direct and they can be direct with you. So really like that. Ooh, I really like that. And that relates to one of the biggest takeaways I'm having from this Harvard Business Review compilation is like one of the articles talks about, um, it's Tom and David Kelly, and they talk about four fears that hold us back. So the fear of the messy unknown, the fear of being judged, the fear of the first step and the fear of losing control. And then what you just talked about with the candor and that directness and that level of understanding, I think that could help us to gain confidence that we need about overcoming those particular fears that hold us back. Definitely, definitely. I think that 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 on both sides, you know, some people are afraid of uh, being too lenient or being friends. Uh, Some people are Mm -hmm. afraid of being seen as the, for lack of a better term, the hard ass or being right. right. So Mm -hmm. yeah, definitely. I think that there's a lot to it over getting over it. And the first step is just saying, okay, there's two sides, you know, I need to to use both to really succeed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cool. Wonderful. Well, Dominique, thank you again so much. Um, I definitely would hope we continue to do this. So uh, looking forward to having you again on the show, uh, whether or not it's for uh, interview update on what you've been up to, whether it's a book episode or anything, just thank you so much for sharing with me and uh, with everybody listening. You're so welcome. And I want to um, invite your audience uh, the same gift that I was willing to give last time I'm willing to still give. And that's if people want to go to Dominique Klupp, which is com, and find out more about me, that's great. But really, I want to invite people to a chat. Like I love talking to people. And so I'm happy to get on a call with people. We can talk more about books. We can talk more about coaching and what people are interested in. That is one of the ways I build relationship and show up in the world. So people are invited to reach out and just connect with me through my website and get on the phone with me. Awesome. Highly encourage everyone. Um, obviously, I enjoy talking with Dominique um, and she you know, is offering this again, like she said, for free to hop on a call with her. I would uh, take her up on that ASAP. <laughs> 
<laughs> awesome. Well, that'll do it for the episode. Uh, everyone listening, though, stick around. We are going to roll into um, uh, myself as well as another recording. We had some great recommendations from other podcast guests um, who either sent in an email or in Kyle Gray's uh, case, we reco- I recorded it with him. Um, so we've got those coming up. Um, some really great recommendations to add on to what uh, myself and Dominique had. Uh, so we'll just segue right into that. All right, as promised, we've got the, uh, the previous podcast guests had several of them uh, uh, email in with their responses for um, their most memorable or best recommendations for 2018. So like I said, we'll start with uh, Simon Lau of otter.ai. Uh, his recommendation was progressive summarization, a practical technique for designing discoverable notes. And this is by Tiago Forte. Uh, you can find uh, the link in the show notes. Uh, if you want to, though, you could go to praxis.fortelabs.co. Uh, that's forte as F-O-R-T-E, and then labs.co. And if you look for that, you will find it. And, of course, the link will be below. Um, and Simon had this to say. Um, he drew inspiration from the article uh, to add support for the highlight feature in the latest version of Otter. Um, and I can add to that that I have gone through, I've subscribed to uh, Tiago's uh, blog as a, a paid member and really diving into that, really like his ideas on um, how you how you handle uh, media and material and over time how you add value to it um, instead of say, well, should I read an article now? Should I bold the parts I liked and then highlight it and then do something else with it and then invest all this time and energy? Or how do I do that over time? So he's got some great ideas. Um, uh, that's just one example of a lot of great things he's done. Uh, also, Catherine Jones of CF Design School. Her favorite book of 2018 was The Untethered Soul by Michael Singer. So she had this to say. I'm just going to read it word for word. Uh, it's awesome. A bit woo-woo, but it paints a good picture. Systems are only systems if you aren't centered with yourself. I'm learning this lesson over and over again. Business is easy. Life is hard. Uh, this book helps you to center yourself so that your systems work so much more seamlessly. One of the most impactful books of 2018 for sure. So that's awesome. That's a great recommendation from Catherine. Um, I'm also going to have to check that out. I believe that Christopher Sutton also recommended that on the podcast. So that's a multiple person recommendation uh, right there. Um, let's see. Uh, Liam Martin of Time Doctor. Uh, on the show and in response to the email, he again recommends Radical Candor uh, by Kim Scott. And I'm actually in the middle of this right now based on him and others' recommendations. Uh, I also highly recommend this if you're interested in, in bettering your communication uh, with those around you and building a better team. Um, and then last but not least, recommendation from Amy Larson, uh, one of the first, if not the very first podcast guests. Uh, and she recommends, um, well, I'm going to un-F-ology is how I'll pronounce it. Uh, and we'll get the audio from her going right after this. Uh, she recorded a nice short video, so I'll take the audio from that and we'll follow on with that. And immediately following that, we'll go into Kyle Gray. Had a great talk, uh, short talk with Kyle Gray about his favorite book. Um, and then that'll wrap it up for this episode. I highly recommend the book Unfalkology, A Field Guide to Living with Guts and Confidence by Amy Alcon. And there are several reasons why I really enjoyed this book and how I think it helped me be a more productive person. So Amy 
great name, by the way, kind of like takes the whole like self-help book, but puts a lot of science into it and makes it really accessible. So she backs up everything that she says with, you know, current literature um, in psychology and, you know, behavioral um, evolution. And I really appreciated that. And basically the big takeaway from her book, um, in my opinion, was that she kind of teaches you uh, not only, you know, what to do, but also how to change your thinking behind it um, and why we behave and think the things that we do. And as you know, for people who have a lot of, you know, social anxiety or confidence issues, um, her book really helps you to understand you know, why we care about the things that we care about um, and why some people, you know, are classic overthinkers like myself. Um, and so um, I really appreciated that. And, you know, like, you know, deconstructing that and understanding it allows you to have more confidence and believe in your abilities. And, you know, I think just having more confidence and, you know, not necessarily not caring what other people think, but understanding like why that's important to you. Um, really helps you spend less time worrying about those things in, in your head and allows you to be able to actually do the things that you want to do. Um, so, you know, it's not a, you know, classic like, oh, here's how you set goals and action items and things like that, but more about, you know, changing your mindset and being more comfortable with yourself. And I think that ultimately can, you know, lead to living a more productive life to Amy for that good recommendation. That's definitely a book I am going to have to check out. And as promised, uh, last but not least is Kyle Gray and had a little bit of a conversation with him about his pick. So here we go. The book I wanted to talk about was Work the System. Um, awesome. Which, uh, yeah, is kind of a foundational text for a lot of what I do these days. Outstanding. Well, yeah, let's, uh, I'm rolling. So if you want, do you want to just kind of go into it? I'm curious, uh, mm -hmm. definitely to hear what you have to say and it's on that list of mine where it's like I should go back and reread this again because it's been a few years. It's been a few years for me too and it was actually one of the foundational texts I started reading. Um, I can remember the point in my life I was reading this while um, backpacking through Korea. I was about to work for a startup that really had used this philosophy to grow and scale the business and so I wanted to learn as much as I could about it and it became the foundation for a lot of the work that I did and still do as a marketer. Um, what this book is about, or the, the general premise of the book, is uh, um, anything that you can do that can be repeated in your work um, should be have a documented process written down for how to do it. That's simple enough that almost anybody could, you know, off the street with appropriate training could um, could take the document and, and run with it. Um, and so the the important thing about this for me, this this changed me working with dozens of different writers with different styles, with different you know ways of submitting work, word documents, Google documents, um, pages documents, all kinds of different things, you know, all kinds of different interpretations of things. You'd be surprised. Um, how how many interpretations you know there could possibly be for save the file or how does that, <laughs> how is that defined like save the file is there a naming protocol is there a place where you should save it um you know at, should you notify anybody when it's saved when should you save it there's like a lot of different questions that when you really think about uh what does a task done well really involve 
um, that can be captured in this process. And it unlocks a surprising amount of power and freedom and scalability in your business. And so um, the book does a really good job at kind of outlining uh, Sam Carpenter, the author's uh, story in his own business and how, uh, how he had, I can't, he had something, he called it like the gun to the head, you know, epiphany. Um, where I think he was running like a, a telephone sales company or something. And uh, yeah, try uh, was like things were failing and collapsing. And all of a sudden he, he started realizing that if he just documented um, a simple checklist on how to do things well, um, that uh, all of a sudden his team started performing better. Another great thing about it is uh, you can talk about a process on, you can discuss how the the process for doing things as as a way to improve the process itself hmm. whereas instead if you don't have processes then it's usually kind of a conversation of like you did this wrong um which isn't as comfortable so it actually it also helps with kind of a human element because you can fix the process not the person and I mean, and it also makes it so like in the case of writers that i was working with um if one writer, you know, did something that I wasn't quite or didn't really want them to do, then I would go back to the style guide and update the style guide and permanently, like kind of, uh, hopefully, you know, <laughs> that kind of thing, or at least very have a documented thing that I can say, go to section 2C on this style guide, or say, don't do this. Yeah. Um, so I think that's an interesting one you're touching on too about the style guide. Cause that's something, um, when I read story engine, I definitely took that your template. Um, cause I was starting to uh, do some writing with outside writers. And that to me was one of the more powerful ones because it's a tough process, at least for me to outline, you know, I think most people when they hear process, it's like, go to step one, do X, Y, and Z, go to step two, do this, that. And sometimes with things like writing or maybe graphic design, there's an outline, but there's not a, like here, follow these five steps and you'll be done. You know what I mean? So yeah. I, I think that's a, a good thing to point out. Like, you know, you can put a process to this. And I think this is where maybe some people have a hard time recognizing that, yeah, you can put a process on it. It may not constrict someone. It's not meant to like, you know, tighten them down. It's just meant, Hey, here's the guidelines. It means, it means to free them up. And it actually, like, I feel like it takes a lot of pressure off people because I think people just naturally the way we do things, it's almost like a game of telephone where you kind of like you whisper and then the secret that you're whispering changes a little bit every, every time. And uh, it, it saves you time and freedom because um, like one of the things that I find in very short supply, and I think most high performing people do is your decision-making capabilities. And so if I can just make these decisions and have them made for me in a checklist once, then that actually saves me a resource. That's really important. Um, I don't want to have to like think through the best, you know, way to post something on Facebook every time I want yeah. to have it done once. And I, I would want to have it done once for me for sure. And, and then hand it to somebody else and not do it anymore. Cause I don't want to do that. So, um, but, uh, one of the interesting, yeah. So that's, that's kind of the power of the book. That's the promise of the book, or this is, these are the concepts um, that the book does a great job at really exploring and, and sharing um, um, how to do that. And so, gotcha. yeah. So how long ago did you say you read it? 
this this uh um the first time i read it must have been four or five years ago and then i've i picked it up and skimmed through it every once in a while reread chapters um yeah yeah that's funny that's about the same time as me and i was surprised when i read it that i hadn't read it before it came as a recommendation from a business partner uh mm-hmm. and i was like yeah okay yeah it's about you know systems and stuff i'll check it out i was like oh wow yeah this totally makes sense and i like how we t- uh again we were talking a minute ago about how we should both probably sit down and reread this, but I like how he goes on to say, you know, you, these are living kind of things. You don't just make a process and it is good forever. You have to, you know, it, you iterate, you sit down, you go through these things, but once you've done the hard work, it's a quick matter uh, to like you're saying to go update a style guide or do this or do that instead of all the time you spend in limbo. If you don't have any processes at all. I find the challenging element of it that I don't know if the book really addressed well. There's some software companies that seem to have attempted to target this, but the storing and organization um, is a little bit, uh, it can get pretty, pretty hairy pretty quick if you're like, I just typically used Google Docs. Yeah. Um, but but uh, being able to organize and categorize those. I also really have found um, since reading this book, um, but this technology has, has developed really nicely um, since then is like making screen recordings that you can immediately like link and host um, and have those those short video things prepared because um, it like takes a surprising amount of effort to very carefully write like, you know, click the X at the oh, or like, you know. Yeah. And, and that's where most people, yeah, just lose it. And they, yeah, exactly. that's what it is. And what I've uh, Don and my partners have done too, is to hire people. Part of the hiring process for our BAs is like, Hey, you know, here's a short video, you know, write out what this video says to do, you know, because you're going to need to do it for reference anyways. And then sometimes we'll have them actually make the process just in the sense that, like you said, we'll record a short video and then whether it's Trello or Google Docs, say, okay, you know, here's the process for creating the process, knock yourself out, you know, and you know it, you now own it. Yeah. Yeah. But I totally agree with you about the organization thing. I haven't hit the nail on the head there and I haven't seen anyone that has because eventually you just get enough. You've got to organize that and then the organization needs organization. So yeah, it can get a little hairy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So yeah, someday um, I've seen things like something called Process Street, mm-hmm. which is kind of a, a software, but um, but yeah, uh, keeping them organized in a good Google Doc or just making sure that there's like... There's also probably a balance too um, that that can be addressed. You want to have the like, uh, you want to have a lot of these, but probably for each person, there should be crucial core ones that are, you know, the ones that uh, are probably the eighty twenty, I yeah. guess, of of what you're doing. And again, that's kind of what I was going for in the story engine was creating those very very foundational documents that you can uh, work from and create from. Definitely. Yeah, I agree. And going through something else I've done, I do this with two people on our team is going, they go through first and I say, Hey, go through once a month, you know, here's where they know where they are, but the process is once a month, go through the processes and just highlight anything that hasn't been used recently or things that look obviously wrong to you. Uh, So then when we sit down, we don't sit there and I don't have to go through with them because they're the ones actually using them. So they know them better than I do. And then that way too, we get rid, you know, we archive old stuff and, kind of that to me helps uh, kind of that 80, 20 idea of get rid of most of it. And once or twice, uh, or sorry, one or two, maybe processes a month, we archive or alter, and then it makes that everything just a lot easier. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. Cool. Well, highly uh, recommend the book uh, to anyone who's uh, listening to this. We both read it. Two thumbs up uh, on my end. And uh, thanks for sharing, Kyle. Absolutely. Thank you for having me, Adam. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Real World Productivity Podcast. If you know someone that would enjoy this episode, please grab the link and send it via email, message, or whatever means works best. Now, if you're looking for more ways to increase your productivity, time management, and team building skills, be sure to go to productivity.academy resources to find out what tools, cheat sheets, and services can get you started and make the most impact right now. For those who want to make fast changes and want to save dozens of hours, I highly recommend joining the 14-Day Productivity Foundation Challenge at productivity.academy slash foundation challenge. This 14-day challenge takes minutes per day, but will help you develop or improve your daily review to get more done with less distractions and loss of focus. You'll also get over-the-shoulder directions for setting up an automation, save dozens of hours, and the process for deciding what else you should automate and how to do it. And if you're serious about continuous improvement and you know that productivity, time management, and team building will impact every area of your personal and professional life, join us in the Growth Automation Membership. Find out more at productivity.academy slash join.